Welcome to PRISM Presents. I'm your host, Sophia Osborne, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded, ancestral, and traditional land of the Musqueam peoples on UBC Vancouver campus. I'm so excited to be here today for another episode of PRISM Presents, a radio show dedicated to bringing you readings and conversations with writers from around the world. If you haven't heard of PRISM International, we're a quarterly literary magazine based on the UBC Vancouver campus, and our mandate is to publish the best in contemporary writing and translation from Canada and around the world. For today's episode, I'm joined in the studio by Dora Prieto, an endlessly talented MFA creative writing student here at UBC and the incoming poetry editor for PRISM. Dora, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Dora. And I'm really excited to be here, too. Yeah. Could you tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Dora. I'm in my second year of the MFA of three years. I'm taking three years. And I write poetry, comics, and fiction. I started with fiction and have more and more been taken by poetry, I guess. Yeah, and I'm, I grew up in Nova Scotia, actually, in like a really rural place and then grew up kind of between there and southern Mexico and now I've been in BC for like eight years. Amazing. Well I'm so happy to have you here with us and would love to hear a bit of your work if you wouldn't mind reading a few poems for us today. Sure. I would love to. Okay I'm gonna start with one called The Withholding Map. A river meanders in becomes a neural network of deserted memory. Freshly decanted across the plain, she is aromatic. A whisper, DNA splintered. There's something immigrant about her, how the herbaceous wandering seeks. Expands, digs, rummages, stretches thin and then dilates, green sinew fecund across a time-worn altiplano. A map of remembering since that time, that time. What happened here? She casts out tendrils, absorbing the long history of dust, until met with edges, real-life characters who resist being fully known. Burnt sienna withholds, refuses, holds dehydrated secrets for later on the road, in the shade. Green edges expand and ochre surface area contracts, a common terrain, time-capsuled and awaiting witness or to be left alone. A war happened here, is happening. The river splits rocks, cleaves death open in an aqueous archive. She spares nothing or very little. She traverses the land, barren like a Wikipedia page, forlorn, evacuated. She multiplies the search. Moss-like tendrils travel out towards the edges, precise. Jade green neurons on gray matter, a brain scan. Investigation halts, examined, displaced. A map of forgetting. These words are the dust of my dead. Everything, again. The river holds, blooms, seeks. Let no grain of this desert go unwatered. Somewhere, a ghost decamps. Thank you. All right. And the next one is called Poem That Isn't Ready. This one I wrote quite recently. 
And it is quite visual, so, but I, I think it is nice uh, read aloud as well. Uh, very different, though, than reading it on the page. There's a piece of embroidery in the center of the page, and then the words are kind of scattered around that. Yeah, okay. Poem that isn't ready. A handful of earth, the things we wish to leave unsaid. Gleanings, bone, nylon, a vague threat of violence. Coarse fragments, the dark isle of Dresso. Everyone who's missing, a shift in scale. Hakarandas, etc. The last hug. In quotations, Latinas keep a lot of stuff hidden, which is from RuPaul's Drag Race season 15, episode 12. Oh, go off, persimmon. Correlations, migrations. Today I tried to get it all down on paper, but it's scattered in my hands. I will try again tomorrow. Mm. I love the dark aisle of Dresso. <laughs> I know, I always like, I always smile when I say that part. <laughs> there is a dark aisle of Dresso and it is spooky because there's just so many things that you just think like it's been there for 60 years or something, yeah. just collecting dust. Okay, and then the last one is called Untitled, and it's an ekphrastic poem after Reticularia Cuadrada, which is from this installation artist and architect named Gego, who's from Venezuela and was active in like the 60s. Metal letters, syntax, sonnet, grid, pliers. Let them fall through my net. Let them be caught in my net. I am just outside the frame of vision. This is what it is to wail together. A break is an opportunity for possibility. This is a grid I could be mapped onto. This is a net I could be caught in. Why then? Why now? What parts are intuitive? What parts are analytical? What was left out of the piece? What did you forget about by the time it was finished? Where did the piece lead you to? What did you eat this morning? Wow, thank you so much for sharing those beautiful poems with us, Dora. I'm going to be thinking about them a lot. And yeah, I'm really excited to dive into our discussion today. But first, let's take a quick ad break. Are you tired of Big Brother bookstores trying to sell you some billionaire's favorite book or Heather's top picks? then you should check out Vancouver Books. Vancouver Books is a new online family-run bookstore. A portion of their profits go to First Nations Reconciliation and Environmental Projects in British Columbia. They provide their customers with the most interesting books in fine arts, signed first editions, First Nations photography, fine ancient books, occult, and so much more. They also provide carbon-free delivery to anywhere in the Vancouver area. So go to www.vancouverbooks.ca to check out Vancouver Books today. That's www.vancouverbooks.ca. Welcome, I'm Nancy Joaquin. Hello, Sahla. I'm at Skype. Bienvenido. 
to volunteer for Spacesisim Garden. Get away from the rat race. Get back to the land. Heal. Reconnect with yourself. Touch grass. Find a quiet place among the plants and find a quiet place inside yourself. Check us out on Facebook at Indigenous Garden UBC Farm. Or visit the Spacesisim Indigenous Garden located at UBC Farm just off of Ross Road. We're gonna be your three little music friends Every second Thursday at 2pm We're here for music time CITR 101.9 Do you want to change the state of the world? But instead you keep buying material goods to satisfy whatever desire you have in that very moment? Me too. But now you can do both! Brock Shop and Community Thrift is a local vintage shop that fulfills your 1970s all-chic fantasy while also supporting at-risk people through their compassionate and supportive work training program. All of their profits go to the PHS Community Services Society to support ongoing health care, harm reduction, and health promotion projects in Vancouver and Victoria. So stop by their two locations, Community Unisex on West Hastings or Community Frock Shop on Corral Street. And if you know any other local businesses that deserve recognition for their generous business practices or their contributions to the community, please DM us on Instagram at CITR and Discorder because we would love to spotlight them. Because hey, if you can't stop buying, you might as well start supporting. You're listening to Prism Presents on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm your host, Sophia Osborne, and I'm joined by Dora Prieto today to talk about her writing. So yeah, let's get into it. My first question is, I guess, sort of a chronological question, start, starting at the beginning. What first drew you to writing and what genre did you first work in? Yeah, so I started writing not too long ago. Yeah, I guess about three years ago. And I started with fiction. And I think I ever since I was really young, like sort of moving between nations and sides of my family that were kind of at war <laughs> with each other, um, I read a lot. Like I definitely was one of those kids that was, yeah, re just diving into like 12th grade reading level when I was in like sixth grade. So that to me feels significant because I think that is where like I, I already had so much of that exposure I guess but yeah about three years ago now I started writing fiction and I think what drew me to it was that I I had never really considered being an artist or a writer as like a viable option <laughs> so I was working in a job that I eventually just could not stand anymore <laughs> and I was like I need I need to leave and then suddenly I had like started writing at that point because of a few friends who new friends that I had made who were writers and I was like oh this is like this is really fun maybe I should do this and then yeah like mid-pandemic just was 
it was kind of an exit strategy, to be honest, to to do an MFA. And now I feel like so glad that I made that decision because I can't imagine doing anything else. <laughs> yeah, I'm so surprised to hear that you started writing so recently. I, I, I just assumed that you've been writing since you were like a kid. <laughs> Well, that's very flattering. <laughs> <laughs> I I was a an extreme um, journaler. So, mm. you know, that is like, I mean, I think definitely that's a form of writing. It's just not like within the frame of the publishing world or something. But yeah, I, I did write a lot in my journal. And sometimes like I actually look back at one of them from when I was 14, which was like a very pivotal time for me because I was um, I had moved back to Mexico with my dad and was living there and in middle school and just being kind of like, whoa, where am I? Who am I? Um, and in that journal, like there there are things that are kind of like poetry. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think there is like some degree of like I was always thinking a little bit like that, but it, it took until being in the MFA to like really be like, okay, like this is what I'm doing now. So it wasn't until the MFA that you kind of formally tried poetry? I had written a couple of poems before, but yeah, my first like poetry class was Billy Ray Belcourt's class. And then from there I was like, ooh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We need to return to this, especially because in his class, something I really liked was it was so process oriented. And so I felt like more than producing like a poem that I really wanted to publish or something from that class, it felt like I had done this sort of like self-investigation that felt like really helpful for all genres. And at that point, I was still very dedicated to fiction, which has changed since then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I definitely want to dive into poetry more, but I also wanted to ask more generally about your writing across genres, if there are themes that you find yourself coming back to constantly? Yeah, so I think my family is a theme because I think it's sort of a lens through which I understand bigger themes like immigration or, yeah, like nationality, gender, definitely. And that has been the same since I started writing and and with fiction, too, I think. (laughs) Totally. No, I, I definitely see that. And I think what you what you read for us too, like there's so much specificity and the withholding map to like the the focus on like landscape and color and everything. I feel like I definitely associate your your poetry with like very specific images and color and I don't know and and place I guess, which is interesting because you have moved around so much. I remember when you introduced yourself in class, I think for the first time, like the first time I met you and you said something about like how you've grown up like all up and down the coast or something like that. And I feel like that comes through in your writing so much. Yes, I think that's true. I think I really grasp for place, partially because I felt like so spread out between places. And definitely when I was a teenager, that was like a big source of insecurity for me because when I would be in Canada, it would I would feel like a little bit out of place. And then when I would be in Mexico, I kind of felt the same way. And then, of course, my dad's side of the family isn't actually from Mexico. They're from Colombia. And so there was like that layer, too. So, yeah, I think I do grasp at place. And that is evident in the fiction that I started with. I think it's just 
come more to the surface with poetry because of the like specificity of the language and kind of like playful experimentation. Like it, I think there's, it allows for a kind of more like imaginative, like grappling with that Mm, perhaps. Yeah. 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 And so I guess talking about your poetry, which you've had so much success with, I would love to talk about the withholding map, which we heard you read first, which won Room Magazine's 2022 Poetry Contest. And yeah, I would love to hear more about how that poem came about. I actually was there when it started, which is really exciting. But yeah, could you talk a bit about that process? Yeah, I was so excited when I won that contest. The judge was Lillian Allen, who's an amazing poet. And yeah, I was just so shocked. That poem I started in yeah, a class that we took together with Sharita Warner, who's an amazing prof at UBC. And the exercise was to go on Earthview from Google, which is this amazing function of Google where you basically can just like look through incredible satellite photos of Earth and it's sort of curated. So they're all really beautiful and you can look at it on a map too and like choose a spot that you want to see. And the exercise was to write, start writing an ekphrastic poem that was based on an image that you selected from that. And of course, I was like, okay, well, I want to find one in Colombia. And so, and so I started writing about this, uh, this landscape. And I remember at first, it's so hard to sort of like, there's something in Sharita's classes that has been really helpful, which is like trying to dwell longer in like, ambiguity and not like delaying the meaning making almost because I think yeah it's sort of natural to sort of like right away be like what is my relationship to this photo what is all of this but the process for me was really amazing because I tried so hard to just look at the image and be like okay this is like it's actually a river like where where the river is coming out it's like branching off and everywhere it branches off it's green and then I'm like what kind of green oh it's kind of like a jade green and so I just tried so hard to like really like focus on the colors and and then like wonder also about the geological past of that place in the image and and then inevitably the the sort of like storytelling element or the meaning making arises but that was kind of like a later element yeah, so that was that was like a really revolutionary <laughs> process for me, I think. And then in the revision, I think that was that was where like I had a bit more of the like, okay, what is the like narrative sort of core of this? Like what's what's moving it? But yeah, the the polyvoice like having the the questions on one side also was something that was there in the beginning. Yeah, could you talk a bit more about the revision process? that you went through with that poem or and also just kind of how you approach revision in poetry. Selfishly, like, I'm curious about it because it's just something that I struggle with so much, especially in poetry. I just find I'm like, oh, it's done. And like, I just can't, I just, it feels like something that feels really like immediate to me and it's like the emotion of that moment and then I can't return to it or something like that. I don't know, same with songwriting. That's so interesting because I actually, I struggle with revision in fiction so much more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think, so I have been gathering revision tools. I feel like it's just this necessary part of 
any kind of creative writing. And it feels very like, I feel like when you're trying a new revision style, it's so hard. Like it's very, I think because the writing itself feels so intuitive for me anyways, it really comes from this like sort of intuitive, like (laughs) woo woo (laughs) magical place. Revising like, oh, when you, when you first, you know, there's all these like lists of revision tools and the first times that you do them, it just feels so like, oh, what am I even doing? But I think the, there is something about the more you do those things, the more they start to feel intuitive, you know? Mm. So I felt that with this one. I, what was my, yeah, with the withholding map, I held off on revising it for a few months. I think, let's see, yeah, like four months maybe. And then I kind of read through everything I'd written in that class and um, I added a bit more, a bit more of everything. I think it was, yeah, it was a bit shorter and I added a bit more of the story elements, but I also added more of the like music, like list, list of colors and words. And yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess the more I write and revise, the more I'm like, okay, revising is really necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it certainly paid off with this piece and like where the piece has gone to and winning the award and everything like that that definitely makes me go "Hmm, yeah I should probably like there are some poems that I'm like excited about that I would like to go back and and yeah like I think expanding them and and everything but it's like it's like a mental hurdle almost to get over to like be ready to revise Yes, it is. And I will kind of shout out to Sharita Warner also because she has so many great tools for revising that feel very like not prescriptive. Like it it feels like it still allows you to be in this imaginative state when you're revising. And there's one that she shared with us, which is called the Four Poetic Temperaments. I don't know if you, it wasn't in that class. It it was in, I'm, I'm taking another of her classes right now, just ended. But yeah, the four poetic temperaments, story, music, structure, I can't remember the last one. Oh, imagination. Yeah. Story, music, structure, and imagination. And the idea is that like everyone has some sort of natural inclination towards one of them or two of them. And so you can notice that in your own writing. It's pretty obvious, I feel like, what your inclinations are. And then you kind of like immediately have some level of a frame of revising where you're like, ah, okay, like I really struggle with structure or like I really, I need more imagination. I'm, I'm so, like I put the structure and then I just need to like break it open with imagination. And yeah, I feel like that's really helpful. And yeah. That's, yeah, that's so interesting. Oh, I'm gonna have to go back and, and look at those pieces. You definitely should. I love your poetry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I also wanted to talk about your work in graphic forms as well. You've recently published beautiful comics in Guts Magazine, The Capilano Review, and Maisonneuve. When did you first start working in graphic forms and what drew you to it? Yes. Uh, Well, I must start by shouting out another UBC prof, Sarah Levitt. Um, Yeah, I took her class at the in the second semester of my first year and it just felt like so it felt really 
like a needed like perspective on creative writing that I was just immediately so excited by. And I think she does a really good job of also leaving that like there's a lot of ambiguity. You can take so many different directions with comics like there are poetry comics where, you know, like the image and the text have like a very distant or like tenuous relationship. And then there's ones that are more straightforward. Yeah, so I started making comics in her class and I I have done visual art though kind of my whole life. My aunt was an art teacher and my mom is also very artistic. And so yeah, I have been I've been drawing for a really long time, but making comics and, and making like longer form comics that was the first time. Um and yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I absolutely love your comics and I I definitely think it seems like so natural for you and like you've had so much success publishing them as well, which is amazing. It was kind of something that I didn't even really like beyond New Yorker cartoons. I was like, how do people like publish comics and stuff? And and you've done it in such a like artistic, poetic way. And yeah, I'm just so interested in like your process for creating these comics and how how does that differ from fiction and poetry for you? And like, how do you kind of approach graphic forms, I guess? Yes. Yeah, it's so interesting with the publishing question, too, because I think comics are really having a moment. Mm -hmm. So it was way easier to get those published than fiction or poetry, I, I feel. I think I have been using this process that was shared by a comic artist whose name is Walter Scott, and he made the Wendy series. Have you ever read that? It's so funny and brilliant. I it, The name sounds really familiar. You should check it out. Okay, it's, it's so funny. It's like, yeah, it's this very, like, punk rock aesthetic, and it kind of, it's like a satire of MFAs in a way. Okay, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> visual arts, like, Wendy is a visual artist, but uh, it's really funny. Anyway, so his, Walter Scott's process is he uses note cards and there's like YouTube videos of him showing exactly how he does this which is so generous so instead of like writing down a script which I know a lot of people use and that's kind of the standard in the in the industry for like a longer piece he uses note cards and then he like writes like what the scene is going to be on the note card and then he kind of tapes them all together and then that's like the outline for the for the piece and I Using note cards is so helpful. I've actually used it for fiction too since then. And I think it's just, it's so nice to be able to like have, I mean, first of all, it feels so not intimidating because it's just a small piece of paper, like brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you can like move it around and sort of like experiment that way. And what I've done, because I haven't done like a, a really long form project like that. So I use that for making shorter, like four page comics. And I just write what the panel is going to be in each note card. And then that's also really helpful because you can like move them around and, and, and also just toss them out if you didn't like that panel instead of, yeah. And I guess that also helps a lot because it helps you to visualize what it's going to be like on the page. Yeah. And then after that, then I draw everything in pencil. And then at that stage, things also change quite a bit because it's actually on the page and I can I, I can sort of tell what if there's like a missing transition or something like that. And then after that, I ink it. 
Yeah, which is always a really fun part of the process. It's probably the most enjoyable part of the process because you're not really thinking about the story anymore. You're just like outlining things and painting, but it also feels very high stakes because if you're working with pen and paper, it's like if a word didn't fit in like where you wanted it to, it feels very, yeah, high stakes. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's my biggest regret of my MFA. I mean, you just truly don't have enough space to take every class, but I really wish I'd taken that comics class with Sarah. It just, I feel like everyone who took it was just like, it changed my life. But yeah, I also use like cue cards for TV writing. And it's so, it's, I usually feel so overwhelmed until I do it. And then I can like lay them all out on my bed and you can like, I like color code them for the different characters and the timelines and stuff. So then you kind of can have each narrative thread and then I can like pick and choose from each of those to make episodes or things like that. Like it's just a nice way to organize things. It really is. And I feel like, you know, I I definitely with any kind of fiction storytelling, like including comics, I can't hold everything in my brain. Like that's actually one of the things I love about poetry is like I can hold a poem in my brain, Mm -hmm. you know? I can be like, I know exactly what this is. I could memorize it and and say it afterwards. But but it's so nice, like the note cards kind of externalizes. It's like, okay, I don't have to be responsible for like (laughs) remembering every single like sequence here. I can kind of like trust the note cards and lay it out. Yeah. It's brilliant. One thing I'm curious about is how you decide, like, say you have an idea, does the form usually come first for you? Or do you kind of more like have the idea and then you try to decide, oh, is this a poem or is it a comic or? This is a great question. (laughs) Um, It's a great question because I don't know and I want to understand. (laughs) I think I'm, I mean, I think for now I'm like being in the program it's like whatever class I'm in that's like what form I'm using um because UBC is MFA like it's so multidisciplinary and so it's sort of like okay now I'm in the comics class so I'm making comics (laughs) but I think I think I'm starting to have some sense of or like develop some level of like intuition about which form to use for which story when that happens, I think it's because I have written something, like say I'd written a poem and then the poem just didn't feel like it was, like I, you know, one of the things that is in like a document somewhere on my desktop. But if the if the idea like really persists in my mind, like I keep coming back to it, then I feel like it, yeah, naturally I sort of try it in a different form and my thesis is a great example of this (laughs) because and such a relief um yeah so I changed my thesis quite late in the game like literally two weeks ago I was gonna do a fiction thesis and you know I had this whole proposal since I applied for the MFA that it would be about this period of history in Colombia when my family on that side were displaced from from rural Colombia and it's like this really strange period of history that's very there's like a lot of documentation but there's a lot of things that were lost and it's like and in within my family people don't really talk about it so anyways I I really kept coming back to that but it was just like in fiction it wasn't it just felt like it wasn't working partially because it's not my story I think like it's something I'm very close to and feels very meaningful but it felt like I don't know how to like fictionalize this because I don't even really know 
the actual truth about it. And so I just kept like hitting this wall with fiction and I finally switched it to poetry and it just makes so much more sense because I think poetry, it more, I can more easily imagine myself like creating a work that's like grappling with exactly that like feeling rather than trying to like do something despite that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's literally space for like holes in, in knowledge and reflecting on that in a way that there isn't in fiction or like memoir or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I think over time, I think the more you create, the more you're sort of like comfortable with what you're creating in. Yeah. And I definitely like to keep getting better at that because I, I really like some, especially with comics, because I feel like there are certain stories that are like so good in comics mm-hmm. and that like kind of wouldn't be a, like a written fiction piece. So, yeah more to come on that yeah I I relate a lot like I I asked also selfishly because I think I I definitely experienced the same thing where I end up retreading things a lot of times in a lot of different mediums but but yeah I don't think that that is a bad thing at all like you you keep discovering new things about it every time that you move between genres with an idea and and that kind of story similarly to my thesis it's like this is the story of your family and like it's not something that you need to finish in in a year or be like this is the this is the way it's going to be it it could be something that you work on like for your entire life in many different ways because it's the the story of your life kind of thing yes i definitely agree with that and i i feel like i've heard artist friends of mine be like, oh, like, why do I, like, there's almost a source of, like, not shame, but, like, self-consciousness of being like, why do I always return to this particular subject? But I just always feel like there's, I mean, that's, like, the nature of storytelling. Like, every story kind of, if you look at it a certain way, every story can be basically the same. But that's not a reason not to, like, keep doing it. Like, you just have to do what you naturally like are inclined towards because that's probably where the deepest like insights that you have are I feel like yeah I think when you feel that heat towards something you just have to keep going with it and even if it does feel like yeah why am I so obsessed with my grandma well (laughs) I don't know but there's something there like to pursue so yes yeah definitely well thank you so much Dora it was so great to talk to you about your work. I, I had no idea that you were kind of so new to writing and it's kind of mind blowing and makes me feel like a little bit bad. But what? you're just you're just very you like if you're already here at this point in your career, that's wild. And like, I'm so excited to see where you'll be in like a few years um, and very honored to have gotten to talk to you and know you and everything so yeah thank you so much yeah thank you so much this was really a cool experience and yeah I'm thank you for the compliments (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome well thank you everyone so much for listening and make sure to check out our website at prismmagazine.ca and check out Dora's work which will be linked in the show notes I've been your host, Sophia Osborne. Join us next time for more readings and conversations with inspiring writers. Mm-hmm.